Romans chapter 3. Hey, we're in a new series uh, for the next three weeks until we run up to Easter called The Imaginary Audience. And um, this is kind of interesting because this is something I've wanted to preach on for a while and just have never been able to formulate my thoughts. But uh, I hope this is going to be beneficial to you, and I hope this will kind of free you from some of the bonds that Satan has put on you. And uh, I know that sometimes you look at a sermon series and you say, what's that all about? What is that title? What does that title mean? What, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, I'm glad that you asked, okay? The imaginary audience is a mental concept. It really exists. If you Google the imaginary audience, you'll get some feedback on it. It's common to many teenagers, those of you who have smartphones, don't Google it right now. I'm speaking to you, okay? Put your little technological devices away for a second, all right? Um, but what it is, it's a, it's a concept where we believe that people are constantly observing us, like friends and family and strangers. I have this mental concept that everybody looks at me when I walk in the grocery store, and so I walk into Meyer and I look around and I expect all the moms and people that are there to stare at me and start to critique me like my shoes and my pants and the shopping cart preference that I picked out and if my kids are acting up or not, right? When in reality, they could care less because moms go to Meyer to get groceries and they have a schedule. They don't care about what I'm wearing. Amen, moms? You could care less about me. At first, when I learned this, I was crushed. But then I realized, okay, that's the way it is. When I see this imaginary audience concept, the interesting thing to me is that only a small percentage of people really have interest in what we do. But we build this huge audience up in our mind that we believe everybody's so focused and concerned with what we're doing. Like, some of you teenagers, I love you to death, but you take pictures of yourselves in bathroom mirrors. <laughs> and I'll look at some of those pictures, and I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at all the junk that's on your sink. <laughs> and you've got to clean your sink before you take a picture of yourself, because there's some things that should not be on the internet that are on your sink. It's gross. Okay? So there's this small percentage of people that are infatuated with really what we do. But we seek, here's the crazy thing, we seek to honor that audience. This fake group of people who are in our mind, don't we? I mean, we really want to honor these people. We really want to say that, uh, man, would you just tell me I'm good at what I do? I'm, I'm worthy of something. Have you, have you seen that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever constructed an audience in your mind? <clears throat> Well, teenagers deal with this a lot. What happens is oftentimes many adults maintain this perception really well into their adult years, and it affects everything that you guys say or do. The imaginary audience is so huge to us because it affects not only the way that we worship the Lord Jesus, but it affects what you do on an everyday level. In Romans, Paul starts to speak to how God's chosen people, these were the Jews, okay? Romans chapter 3, if we look at that, verse 1 through 6, had fallen short because they self-made their own situations and circumstances. In other words, the people manifested their own reality. Whether they believed it was true or not, whether it was really existent, they manifested it in their mind. And new Christians, these people called the Gentiles, were coming to know who Jesus was, and they were learning about who Jesus was, and they were so focused on pleasing Jesus, they could care less about this self-made audience. And it made the Jews so mad, because it was like me walking into Meyer. They looked around and they're like, all these Gentile Christians should be focused on the Jews, and none of them cared about them. And sometimes it's that way with us in church, isn't it? We go out and we're like, all you non-Christian sinners should be staring at me because I'm so righteous. And none of them really care about you. And you're like, why don't people care about me? Why don't people see that I live a joy-filled life? Well, you really don't, if you be honest. And all these Gentiles, they start coming to know Jesus and they start accepting Jesus and they have a really true joy and they mature great in this relationship with Christ and the Jews get mad. So let's go to Romans chapter 1 and we'll see... First of all, we get our spiritual backbone, chapter 1. We beat some bad habits, chapter 2. And now we're going to venture into killing some of these self-made 
perceptions chapter 3, okay? And Christ is going to offer us an opportunity to overcome, and I'm going to pray that you would overcome, okay? I'm going to pray that you would overcome this imaginary audience. Let me stop and pray for you. Can you pray with me? Just close your eyes, bow your head for just a second. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to pray right now for the people who are um, here in this place, and some of us have constructed and we've manifested just this audience in our mind. And we think that they're so important and we think all these people around us just need us to honor them. And it's not true. And sometimes we manifest our own righteousness and and we want to appear just really all together and and we're not. And so, Lord Jesus, I just want to confess to you my own shortcomings uh, this morning. And I would ask that you would just work in this broken vessel to preach to the hearts of these people, that it would go past their eyes and into their minds and it would trickle down into their hearts and that you would see how, um, how much that they could change. I'm reminded of the story in the Old Testament where, man, you're, you're talking and you're going to destroy this huge city and your servant pleads with you and he says, if there's, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20 people that are righteous, and I would, I would say, God, that you would see these people as being righteous and that you wouldn't bring the wrath of the city, but you would help us to restore the city, to restore Napanee and Bremen and um, Lakeville and South Bend, Mishawaka. God, I pray that you would um, help us to be compassionate as we talk about what Paul discusses here this morning, that we would be a church who's just really reaching out to reach those who don't know you as Lord and Savior. So just touch our hearts, God, please. I'm going to beg with you this morning. I'm going to plead with you that the people here in this place would just have really soft hearts as the message just starts to um, penetrate their sides this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Love this passage. Love what God has in store for you today. This is going to be a good time. Say amen. Amen. Here we go. Then, what advantage has the Jew? Question mark. Or what is the value of circumcision? Well, Paul says, much in every way, verse 2, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful, though? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, Though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified. Key word there, circle that in your Bible. That you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Verse 5, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Paul, you're asking a lot of questions. That God is unrighteous to inflict his wrath on us? I speak this in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? Interesting, interesting. Let's move the imaginary audience this morning into an audience of one. And the first thing we need to do this morning is we need to, point number one, focus on how to really truly love the Lord. Okay, this morning we need to look at this love of the Lord. The first way that we would destroy a self-made audience that we have created to honor some of these people who we think are focused on us is to genuinely love the Lord. I think some of us think we understand what that means. Some of us think, oh, Jordan, I love the Lord. Skip this point. Whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on, pause a second, get real with yourself. Maybe there's something that you need to see here. Paul asked two questions in Romans chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. It's going to be huge for us to understand how we really truly love the Lord. Let's look at that first question, which is, what is the point of being a Jew? That's the very first thing he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What is the advantage, or what advantage has the Jew? The people wanted to know, okay, because remember, there's Gentiles who are coming to accept Christ. And they look at the Jewish audience and they say, man, these people are the chosen people. How are these people chosen? This doesn't make any sense. Because they want to know what advantage was there to being a Jew, to being chosen by God, when those people could care less about serving the Lord and were more concerned about pleasing themselves or an imaginary audience. Look at how the Jews honored themselves. I'm going to just show you some ways and some of their self-made perceptions. Bounce back to Romans chapter 2, verse 17. I'm going to walk you through just a couple of ways that they saw this, okay? Romans chapter 2, we'll start in verse 17. First thing they did is they boasted in themselves. 
The Jews failed to rely on the law and they boasted in God. Okay? They, they, it was an unhealthy boasting in the Lord. It was kind of like, hey, we know Jesus. Yes, we do. We know Jesus. No way for you. Okay? They just kind of looked at people, verse 17 and 23, and said, man, we just, we know the Lord. Second thing we would see is they sought self-approval. The Jews looked at it and they said, we know God's will and we know what he says. And so therefore, we can approve based off our own opinions. We can go ahead and we can prove for ourselves what we know will really truly honor the Lord. They failed to conceal some spiritual light or be lighthouses to the community. They looked at some Gentiles and they said, there's no way that you are destined to know Jesus Christ. There's no way that this is possible. Verse 19 shows us that they failed to guide the blind and be light in that darkness. We look at verse 20, chapter 2, verse 20, and they were more concerned about self-educating. They failed to instruct the foolish, teach children, stuff like that. 21 and 22, we see that they sought their own personal pleasure, and they stole, they committed adultery, they had idols, they robbed temples. So what am I getting at here? Why would I show you all this information about the Jews? Well, it's huge because it parallels the Christians in the church, and I'm going to demonstrate this in just a second. But the people, the Gentile people concluded that no one would want to be God's chosen people because the Jews were more concerned with themselves than they were with their Savior. And I would say this sits right on par with Christians in today's society. Now again, I'm going to tear you down a little bit before I build you back up, okay? But Christians sometimes, we're so bent on what other people think about us that we forget the lost, we forget the unsaved, we forget the poor, the tired, the hungry, the widows, the orphans. We forget about those people because we're like, eh, somebody else pick it up. Okay? He asks a second question, though. I'll get there in just a minute. Second question he says in chapter 3, verse... uh, One, actually, right after what advantage has the Jew, is what's the value of circumcision? Well, the Jews knew that the action of circumcision resembled participation in God's covenant. It's kind of like how we see baptism today. And they looked at this and they said, they boasted about the action that they did. And Paul argues that true circumcision was of the heart. It was not just of the flesh. And what they did externally meant nothing if they didn't use that action from an internal love of the Lord. Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine getting baptized and the Apostle Paul sitting right on the bottom of the tank and you come out out of the baptism tub and you walk down the stairs and he looks at you and he looks at you right in the face. He says, I hope there's some internal action that pushed that external decision. Because if there wasn't, what you just did is useless. Thanks, buddy. Right? But that's how Paul was, man. He was a hammer. He would look at people and he would say, you've got to have something on the inside to do something on the outside. Church, you've got to have something on the inside to do something on the outside or the action is useless. So what they did externally meant nothing if they didn't use that as a love and devotion of the Lord. Let me tell you something. We just talked about this Thursday night at the lounge. I got all these guys who are doing all this crazy stuff, and they're growing by leaps and bounds. It's awesome. It's, an, it's incredible to watch. And they hate me for a night because they don't get to sleep, but whatever. A man of integrity, I told them this, shows externally what he is consistently doing internally. In other words, integrity is doing the right thing when nobody is looking. And that's what Paul is seeking. He says, I want you to be men and women of integrity. And he's constantly saying that if you love Jesus, if you love the Lord, if you have devotion, if you have passion, and man, if you just breathe Jesus Christ, what you do externally just is a representation. It's a show of what's taking place internally. Now look at this. The Jews were more concerned to please themselves in this action And it showed in their traditions. Look at this. First thing, if we go back to chapter 2, verse 25, they boasted in their obedience to the Lord. They said, hey, we obeyed the law. Take a look and see how righteous we are. 28 and 29, they boasted in value. They said, we have internal value because of this external action. And basically, they got it backwards. 
they got it backwards. A person saved and devoted to honoring the Lord internally will live externally showing signs of honoring Jesus because they know and they've grasped the love of the Lord. It's not a work salvation. It's just pushed out in their fingertips and their toes because they know what they have believed is true and it's happening in here. And they're men and women of integrity who are doing what it takes to honor the Lord in quiet so that when it becomes public, it really is broadcast to where we can see it. I'm reminded of this girl. Her name's Kristen. She was eight years old. Uh, Her dad came up to her and he says, Kristen, you know, your mom's birthday is coming up soon. She said, yeah, I understand. I know. So you're going to make your mom a birthday card? Kristen says, yeah, I'm going to make her a birthday card. He says, hey, let's just skip that. You're a little late. Why don't we just go ahead and we'll go to the computer and we'll, we'll fire up the computer and we'll make that birthday card on the computer. Kristen looks at her dad. She says, no, 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 dad, you can't do that. If you make one on the computer, they don't keep it on the refrigerator as long as when you make it yourself. Isn't that true about kids? Man, Kareen brings home a blank sheet of paper from the Team Elevate program, and I put it on the refrigerator because there's one little crayon line on it. And I'm like, you made this. This is awesome. You're the coolest kid in the whole world. And she looks at me and she says, wow, I've gained the honor of my father. Follow me, church. I've gained the honor of my father because I took the love I had of him internally and I tried to demonstrate it for him externally through a gift. So we look at this and we see that Kristen's desire to do something externally came from her internal knowledge and that brought true glory and honor to her parents. Now the crazy thing about Kristen is she knew it, right? She knew what really would bring honor and glory to her mom and dad. I think that we as Christians truly know what's going to bring honor and glory to our Heavenly Father. And the Lord looks at us and He knows it's easy to please ourselves when we manufacture some of this love or we take the easy route. But to honor and love the Lord properly, church, I want you to get this this morning. Don't miss this, okay? Means that we push to slow down the process to simply check off the to-do list of the disciplines that would honor the Lord. And I'm guilty of this just as much as you are. Because sometimes I just want to get through the devotional. And sometimes God just wants me to focus on a sentence. And sometimes I just want to hurry up and pray for the guy who's sitting in my office. When God says, no, 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 you need to just sit there and be still with him for a minute. Have compassion on him. Let me speak to his heart in peace. God says, listen to this. He says, if you want to really love me, It has to come out of what's taking place internally. This goes against the grain of approval from others. It seeks the love of the Lord. So what can we apply from those two questions? Well, Paul says essentially what we can apply is much in every way. He says we can apply lots of things in another way, in uh, in a healthy way. First of all, let's go to that first question, okay? What is the point of being a Jew? Good question. In our world, the non-Christians would ask, what's the point of being a Christian if Christians know the Bible but fail to live it out? What's the point of going to church if you don't use the material that was given to you? Well, there's hundreds of commands in the New Testament. Let me focus on just a few to help you out to start honoring the Lord and not honoring that self-made audience. First of all, I would say that you need to set some really high standards in your life And find some people to hold you accountable to live out those standards. One of the persons in my life who really holds me accountable is my wife. But let me take it a step further. Because I know a lot of you are in the same boat. It's my kids. I mean, because I know they're looking and they're watching and they're taking notes, essentially, on dad. So high standards can be holding, um, having somebody hold you accountable, but... We talked about this before, the music you listen to, the media that you watch, the family that you spend time around. Sometimes family can be really, really good, and sometimes family, can I get an amen, can be really, really not so good, okay? Especially in this area. I mean, we're kind of connected to our families, and a lot of people are really kind of bonded close to them, and sometimes family's not so good. Now, I'm not saying don't go to reunions and stuff like that, I'm just saying... Some people in the family may be toxic to your relationship with Jesus. 
I'd take it a step further and I would say sometimes friends are the same way. I told the story this morning and next about my salvation, my testimony, when I came to know Jesus. As a freshman at Grace, I went to a camp and I was with a bunch of these little kids. And then all of a sudden, I came to know Jesus that summer. And after my freshman year, I all of a sudden um, found myself back at a Christian school. And I'm living this completely different way. And I'm starting to act and function just a completely different way. And all these quote-unquote good Christian friends were not quote-unquote good Christian friends. And they started to fade away. And that's okay because the standard became higher And I wanted to honor the Lord from what was going on in my heart. And so I would say for you this morning, evaluate and overcome through forgiveness of sin. It's going back to what we talked about in the past couple of weeks. Repent of yourselves and and look to Jesus and say, hey, I need forgiveness to save me from myself. I need your help. It doesn't matter where you've been. Let Let me assure you this. It's where you're going. You can always turn the car around. Jordan, you don't know my experiences. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how hard it is for me to kick this thing. I I know, I I don't. But Jesus does. Baby steps, okay? It's funny, Jonathan and Aaron are are very um, adamant runners. Like, they run ridiculous periods of time. Like, miles and miles and miles upon end. Um, Like, marathons. 26 miles. Who runs 26 miles? Stupid. Okay? (laughs) Take a car. I look at this, though, and I realize that they didn't start running marathons by going out and going, hey, let's do 26.2 today. And they've never run before. It was, hey, first you got to do a mile, then you got to do a mile and a half, then you got to do two miles, then you got to go eat at Taco Bell. Okay? It's baby steps. It's baby steps, okay? When you set high standards, understand, church, it's baby steps. Galatians 5, 7, obey the truth. Obedience, 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 obedience. If the Lord says it, if you read it, and you know you're supposed to do it, James says anything that you know is a sin, and you, or anything you know that is right to do, and you do not do it, it is a, you know the right thing to do. Obey, obey, obey. I would give you another thing. I would say that you need to start serving one another. tangible application to what Paul has presented to us in Romans. Jordan, this is crazy because 90% of our church serves, okay? Let me give you a really kind of kick. You serve for the right reason? Or you serve because it's a checklist? Church functions, school functions, work functions, etc. Tell somebody why you're serving them. This could be a school function. I know a lot of you guys, you have all these kids in sports, right? Some of you coach. And you look at these kids and you, and you say, well, some of them know that you're just there to be there. And others of them know that you're there because your heart's in the right place. Tell people why you serve. True love is seeking the other person's best. If you really, truly love somebody else, you'll seek somebody's best. Okay? Galatians 5.13, do not use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So huge for us. Evaluation. Man, why do I serve? I've had to do this three or four times in the ministry. Why do I preach? I love you guys. Man, I really love you guys. Like, when, when you're not here, I say, man, my church is awesome. These people are legit. Okay? Make me proud. Make Community Gospel Church proud. Make God proud, okay? Serve for the right reasons. Last thing, love one another. Love one another. Tangible application, okay? It's, it's, It's very easy to say, hard to live out, but watch this. Love one another. Love languages, gifts, et cetera. Seek each other's best to know the Lord better. And watch this, and get nothing in return. Last night, Bethany and I, we found ourselves crying on the couch because we're watching that stupid fireproof movie. Kirk Cameron gets me every time. Mike Seaver from Growing Pains all the way to Fireproof, man. I just had to walk in the bathroom. I got my tissues out. I said, man, this is so awesome. I love you. (laughs) That's what happens in our house, right? But I looked at this, and I watched something that took place there. True love, guys, true love is seeking the other person's best, getting nothing in return. If I really, truly love my wife, I'll get nothing in return. If I really, truly love you as a congregation to preach to you, I'll get nothing in return. Okay, sometimes I think you guys should be up here going, wow, Jordan, that was the best sermon you ever preached in your whole entire life. And we just love you. We want to hold you up on our shoulders. We want to carry you around the church. That'd be cool. I really would. Okay. 
but it would destroy my pride, okay? It would destroy me, okay? So don't do it. I know you want to, but don't do it. <clears throat> At least I think my imaginary audience believes that you want to, okay? <clears throat> but watch it. Seek each other's best. Get to know the Lord better. Get nothing in return. If I'm going to serve this guy at a school function, I'm not expecting him to do anything in return. If I'm going to stop listening to secular music, I'm not going to expect anything to return. See, what happens is we sometimes treat the Lord like magic, don't we? We think, man, if I do this specific thing, then Jesus is going to do this specific thing. That's magic. Okay, there's a difference between magic and majesty. And Jesus says, don't use me like a sorcerer. Use me like a savior. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14 says, the entire law is summed up in a single command that you would love your neighbor as yourself. The opposite approach to these actions would be that we fight for our self-advantage, which is self-destructive behavior. Okay? If you don't set high standards, serve one another, love one another based out of what's going on in your heart, okay, your self-destructive behavior. This is why the Gentiles looked at the Jews and they said, we don't want to know Jesus. Because these people really don't have it in their heart. Second question that Paul asked, let's look at that second one in Romans chapter 3 verse uh, 1, where he says, what is the value of circumcision? Good question. In our world, the question would be, what's the point of participating in rituals like church services or prayer circles or baptisms or anything else, the Lord's table? Why would we do these things when ultimately they really have no real internal connotations? Good question. Sometimes that's what people do in the world. Sometimes the non-Christians look at us and go, why do you go to church again? What's the reasoning behind that? What happens is Paul gives essentially two foundational principles to remember why we do the things that we do, and it comes out of the internal. First thing that I would say that God exists, and these aren't on a slide, but these are just simply for you. Let me tell you something. First and foremost, the audience of one, the Savior, if we're really truly focused on honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to understand that He is real. Jesus really exists. God really exists. You don't believe me? Go outside, breathe a breath of air. You don't believe me? Go talk to somebody. I'll give you four or five names of people who have had miraculous, life-changing, God-altering, no-explanation moments where they say, it's nobody else but Jesus. This is what happened. Since God exists, I must do what he says internally to get to a state externally where I'm excited about this. Have a church family. Get saved. Get baptized participate in the Lord's Supper, all this other stuff. Man, I want to do this because Jesus did something for me. I have a perfect father. I want to honor him as an obedient son. Second thing I would say, that God has spoken to us in his word. Look at your Bible. Even if it's an electronic device and you stop playing Angry Birds for a minute and you go back to the actual Bible app, okay? And you look at this and you realize that God spoke to you and the audience of one who you need to honor and you need to cherish. Gave you a book that has perfect direction inside of it. Every self-made audience. Let me, let me tell you something. I'm going to free you for a second. You okay with that? Look at your neighbor say, here it comes. That was the neighbor, hopefully, that you didn't go to earlier, okay? But watch this. It says, you're like, dang it, can we do it again? Okay, look at your neighbor and say, here it comes. You can talk to each other. Let's try this. Look at your neighbor say, here it comes. Okay, good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Jeez. How, how am I going to expect you to do what God's word says outside of these walls if you can't even do what I ask you to do inside of these walls? That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. But watch. Every self-made audience that you have constructed in your mind. Okay, you ready for this? What happened is those people give you opinions and not biblical standards. And opinions fall short of God's laws. Opinions say, man, I think you should do this, or I think that this is the correct way to go. But the Bible gives a standard of truth that is time-tested, eternally proven. And may we never take what we have or what we know from the Lord as something we take for granted, but let's use it to point back to Christ in obedience. Okay, so when I look at my Bible, when I open my Bible in the morning, and I sit down, and I open it, I cherish it. I say, Jesus, this is a God-ordained time that you have specifically set up to me. And one of the things I hear from people all the time 
is that God doesn't talk back. I hear from people all the time, Jordan, God doesn't talk back. Yes, he does. He wrote 66 books directly to you for your life and your situations and your circumstances. And you open up that word, and let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit just starts speaking. Bethy and I were laughing earlier this week because we've been going through some things, and uh, she says, how come every time I open the Bible and read Scripture, it's always in relation to what's going on right now? And I said, I was going to say the same thing. She's like, it must be Jesus. I said, absolutely, it definitely is. Very good. Conclusion, okay? Honor the Lord, an audience of one, and his angelic orchestra, I love this, will echo far greater than any human audience of perceived praise. Isn't it amazing that we look at the praise of men and we would say, man, you guys love me. And we forsake this whole heavenly audience, this whole heavenly angel band, if you will, that's just screaming for us to say, you can do it. You can love the Lord, God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's look at something else. Watch this. Romans chapter 3, verse 3 through 4. This takes something, and this moves into this kind of peace, and this is what I'm really excited to give you this morning. Romans chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Let's read that together before you write down the point. It says this. It says, what if some were unfaithful? Great question. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Paul says, by no means, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, you may be justified, I told you to circle that in your words, and prevail when you are judged. Paul asks another question, maybe it's something you need to underline in your word. What if some did not have faith? Great question. What if some don't have faith? In other words, he would say, how am I supposed to hear this angelic angel band when I'm trying to honor the Lord and all I hear is earthly silence? You ever tried to honor the Lord and felt completely alone? Man, if you're a really true follower of Christ, it happens all the time. There's sometimes where I'm like, God, I did the right thing and nobody said a word. I'm like, you see, I gave this guy $20 and there's nobody clapping. You're like, that's it, I'm done. God looks at us here and he says, hold on a second, hold on a second. You're not seeing the way that I see. You're not seeing the things that I see. The earthly audience looks a little better to entertain than honoring the Lord. And when we see that, we lose our perception. But Paul reveals how a circumcision of the heart, in other words, if we were truly adamant about removing our sin, will produce a faith needed to honor the Lord. When you start, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, when you start setting high standards, when you start serving one another, when you start loving one another, all those things mean that you have to walk in faith because it is not possible to do on your own accord. So what Paul looks at us and says is that we must remember an outward profession of faith is useless without an inward possession of grace. And it's needed, faith is needed, okay, to truly honor the Lord. It's the key element. Some of you guys are like, why am I stuck? Why am I not growing in my relationship with Jesus? I've been there. I mean, I've asked Jesus, I'm like, God, why am I not growing in my faith with you? I should be mature. I should be this big, strong believer. And he's like, because you got zero faith. Everything you do, Jordan, is on your own terms. Everything you do is on your own accord. But you got to have faith. you got to believe. And you got to start asking for some things that are impossible. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me lay that out to our congregation, Jesus. You're going to love this. And he says, go for it, I dare you. Because that's what we love as Christians, isn't it? We love to do the impossible. Because we know when somebody accepts Christ, we didn't get him there. Jesus did. We know when somebody goes in the baptism and, and they go under and they come back out. We know we didn't get them there. That's all Jesus. You want to ask my mom about that? Go ahead. She would be the first in line to tell you how you need to live a life of faith. Now, I want to pause for a second and demonstrate something to you. And I want you to get this church, okay? Just like the Gentiles are looking at the Jews, so are the unbelievers in our society looking at us as Christians. If those people look at us and we refuse to live a life in faith, we have presented a horrible witness to those who don't know the Lord. Did you get that? Because sometimes people go, well, I don't get it. There's really nothing great in your life. 
because we have removed the element of faith. Look at, look at how the Jews did this and how it affected the Gentile audience. Okay, first thing that they did is they had an improper attitude. The Jews were very arrogant because they received wisdom from God. We already got that. But arrogance pushed them further into self-glorification and it failed to demonstrate a need for Christ. In other words, the Jews would say, okay, follow me because some of us do this. The Jews would say, we know how to act. Christians would say, we know how to act. And we got it. I read, I read this once. Okay, I know how to act. They had an improper understanding. They had an inability to understand the promises of Jesus and that further pushed them to rely upon themselves which created more arrogance. So they just got even more puffed up. They even got more like of an improper attitude because they said, we know how to understand it. They said, not only do we know how to act, but we know how to understand. So all these Gentiles are coming to know Jesus and they're like, well, hold on a second. We know how we should act. We know how to understand this thing. And therefore, they had an improper response. They had a lack of accepting responsibilities to those who profess Jesus Christ. And they built these own systems. They built their own understandings. And it based all off their attitude. In other words, they said, we know what we're doing. Now church, three sentences, okay, for us this morning. We know how to act. We know how to understand. We know what we should be doing. And God says, if that's the case, then you don't need me. If that's your point of view, if that's your perspective, then you don't need me. When God sees us not relying on him in faith, he seeks out a soul that will. When God looks at us, he may still love us because we've accepted him and we've received him. But if we seek to honor the Lord, our self-made audience, then he can't use us because we're choosing to live without faith and we live on our own accord. This is huge for us this morning. This is massive for our church this morning. I think about David. You remember David? David was a shepherd boy. That's one of my kids' books. Whose wonderful dreams brought his father great joy. I don't know, I'm, I'm bashing that up. It rhymes and all this other stuff. We read it to Kareem like a thousand times when she was a kid, so it's still engraved in my memory. But uh, actually, it's Joseph. I messed that up. Whoa, repent. I'm sorry. It's Joseph. But I'm going to talk about David, okay? David, he, uh, <clears throat> I'm never going to live that one down. Um, David goes off, and he's, uh, he's doing his thing as a kid. You remember the story of David? He's doing kind of his own thing. And he's just hanging out, and he's tending the flocks, he's tending the sheep, and he's just kind of doing his own thing. But God needs a king, right? So what happens? He goes up, and, and they go to uh, his brothers. And they search all his brothers, and all of his brothers are qualified. Do you see that? In the Old Testament, every single one of David's brothers is qualified for the gig. So why do they go to David? I mean, he's out tending sheep, he's scrawny, he's small, he doesn't have anything to really offer. And all of a sudden, they, they approach, he goes, he goes, you got anything else? Can you imagine the father's response? Yeah, I got something else right here. Pick one. Okay, here's your next heir. Here's your next in line. And all of a sudden, he says, no, 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 well, honestly, we got one other kid, but you can go check him out. He's not really, you know, A-level material. And they go out there, and they see David. And David is simply doing what God wants him to do. He's acting in faith. And they say, hey, we can use that kid because... He believes that God is in control. What's David do? He slays a giant in faith. What else does David do? Man, he leads a community with massive leadership in faith. And you know when David falls? If you study the leadership of David, he falls when he loses his faith. When David starts thinking, I can do all things by myself, he starts losing his faith, and then he goes downhill. This is home for us today, and I want to show you this just in some major ways. Some of the Jews did not believe the promises of God, but they were also unfaithful in trusting the Lord. And because they were unfaithful, God remained faithful to his word. We see this in uh, many passages of scripture, but we need to honor the Lord and not others. And here's some more tangible application for you. You ready for this? Let's backtrack a little bit. I'm going to give you the other three. You need to, first of all, set high standards, not because you want to or because you have to, because you have a desire to, okay? You need to serve one another because of the internal relationship you have with Christ. And we need to love one another because God commands it, and it's a product of what we have received. 
So when we walk in faith, the first thing that we need to be consistent with is that we have the proper attitude. You ever seen a grumpy Christian? This is not the most depressing thing in the whole entire world. Let's backtrack. Let's just not say Christian. You ever seen a grumpy person? How many of you know somebody who's negative? If you don't raise your hand, you're the negative person, okay? And I'll give you another chance. How many of you know somebody who's negative? Oh, all the hands go up now. I got it. I understand, okay? Negativity spreads, doesn't it? I mean, you'll get in a room with somebody who's negative, and all of a sudden you just feel like gloomy, and clouds have come over top of the ceiling. You're like, what is happening to me? Why am I here? What's happening is the same thing that happened in biblical times with the Jews and the Gentiles. And God would look at us and he'd say, I want you to have the proper attitude as one who has accepted Jesus. And understand that as you set high standards, this is going to take faith. As you serve one another, this is going to take faith. As you love one another, this is going to take faith. Now watch, I'm going to free you of something. You ready? Faith says, I can't change this on my own, but God can conform me. Let me free you of something. You may have an addiction. You may have a desire. You may have something going on in your life. And you may be looking at it and banking off it going, well, I can solve this. I can, I can fix this problem. And God says, no, you can't. But if the mind would crank over and say, you know what? I believe in faith that it is possible for the Lord to do this good work. Then all of a sudden he says, I can work with that. That's a leader right there. And then some of you say, but there's no way I can stop this. And you're right, but God can. You've got to have faith. You've got to believe. Second thing I would say that you need to understand God's promises. A lot of times we don't <clears throat> have the proper attitude because we don't understand the promise. A lot of times we don't love each other, love the Lord, or do what God tells us to do because we don't understand how God really works. Understanding God's promise takes faith. Paul says, let God be true and every man be a liar. God exists in his word. He's spoken it to us. And let the Holy Spirit be your guide through the truths in scripture. And let God be the ultimate judge for your life. Now, if we have the proper attitude, faith says, I can't change this on my own, but God can conform me. And if we understand God's promises, faith says, I can't understand this on my own, but God can counsel me. How many times have you cranked into your Bible and opened up a passage of Scripture and you start reading it and you go, I have no idea what this says? Everybody's done that, right? The crazy thing is God has equipped this generation with so many tools to understand the Word. And He says, I'll help you. I will help you. I will give you a counselor that will help you understand the words that are presented in this book. Do you have faith to believe that? God says, you can understand my promises, and if you say there's no way I could, you're right, but God can. There is no way that I could do this. Absolutely, there's no way you can, but faith said there's a way that God can. Third thing I would say is that there's an acceptance of the responsibilities. <clears throat> and this is huge. This is huge for us. This means, as Psalm 116.11 says, let God keep on being true even though every man becomes a liar. And what happens is when we accept the responsibilities of Christianity, we would submit to Jesus Christ and we would accept him as a righteous judge who calls us to live properly. Faith says, I can't live this out on my own, but God can empower me. Now watch, look at the change, okay? I want to show you the change. If we have the proper attitude, the proper promise, and the proper responsibilities, look at the change here. We go from, I can't, I can't, I can't, to God can, God can, God can. I can't stop, God can. I can't do this, but God can. I can't live this way, but God can empower me. Remember, go back to what we've already preached. Romans chapter 1, the biblical backbone. Romans chapter 2 gives you the ability to break bad habits because of the confidence that you have received. Romans chapter 3 gives you the ability to destroy perceptions that you have created for yourselves. Paul says you can live this way. You can do nothing outside of your own relationship with Christ. It takes faith. Do you, do you, do you see that? It takes faith. You've got to believe. Sounds like an old 70s song. But you've got to believe. Church, you've got to believe. 
That's why when we as a leadership team start setting some goals for our church, we make them so big and so ginormous that we know we can't hit them, but God can. I mean, sometimes when we plan baptismal services, we'll say, we want 100 people in that tub. And we believe that God can do it. But let me tell you something. It takes an army of people to have faith. It can't just come from the faith of the people who are presented in leadership. It has to come from the faith of the people who are present in the congregation, living it out Monday through Saturday. Some of you guys look at people next to you and they say, there's no way that this guy will ever know the Lord. And Jesus says, have you met me? You know who I am? Because somebody said that about you a while ago. And you came to know me. And you came to love me. Man, that pulls on my heartstrings. Sometimes I just don't live with enough faith, but I'm working on it. Man, sometimes God just, it's awesome when he comes through. Third thing I would say is here's what happens, okay? If we choose to reject faith, if we choose to uh, reject loving the Lord, then we're going to embrace some judgment. And I'm telling you guys something, this is not a good place to be. If we look back to our original questions, the first, loving the Lord, in Romans chapter 3, verse 1, shows the advantage, and the second, having faith, demonstrates privilege. The third thing that Paul starts talking about is what happens if we reject it. If we choose to not love the Lord, if we choose to not live in faith, oh my goodness, we're in a bad spot. God entrusts his ministry to his People At first, he started with the Jews. The Jews couldn't handle the responsibility, and so he moves on to a new generation. He says, hey, I loved you guys, but you fell short, so here's Gentile opportunity. That's us. He says, I'm going to leave it in your hands. And since the Jews rejected that opportunity, they welcomed the rejection of the Lord. Can you imagine being a Jew right at the turning point when the New Testament and Old Testament started to clash? Can you imagine... The devastation they felt because God chose to work with a different group of people. Can you imagine? Oh man, that'd be hard. It's like Jesus, when he walks up to his hometown, remember what he says? He's like, I can't do anything here because they have no what? Can you imagine how devastated Jesus was? Sometimes people look at it and they say, man, when Jesus was on the cross, that had to be the most painful thing ever. I'm starting to kind of understand that and believe that a little bit, but I think one of the things that Jesus looked at and thought more than anything else, was the pain on the cross was the pain of the rejection of his people. And he looked at his people and he says, I can't do anything here because you don't have any faith. In Community Gospel Church, I believe in you. I believe you have faith and I believe you love the Lord, okay? But you've got to live it out. Okay, you've got to live it out. You've got to demonstrate it. You've got to push it out. It's got to be on your fingertips. It's got to be on your toes. It's got to be in your mind. It's got to be in your heart. It's got to be on your lips. It's got to be in your ears. It's got to be through your eyes. I mean, it has to be your whole self, man. You've got to live this stuff out. You've got to have faith. You've got to believe that the Lord is good. I remember back when Gianna was crying and she wasn't sleeping through the night. I thought I believed in faith that she could sleep through the night. And I'll tell you what, my faith was worthless. Because I looked at it and I said, you know, I really don't believe that God can do this. And then God just kind of, and God's punch hurts, man. And I look back at it and I said, you know what, Lord, you can. Holy cow, you constructed the universe. Like the mountains move and the waters and these huge oceans. You are, you're awesome. And who am I to not have any faith? Who am I to not love you? Look at this. We can reject or we can accept the responsibility of being Christians. And we can honor the Lord by living a life in faith and letting God judge things righteously. A proper perception of who Christ is is called for here. And we need to strive to have the proper attitude as responsible Christian men and women that we're entrusted with a message. Jesus entrusts you with a message. The best message in the whole world. The best story that's ever told. Uh, I was watching Star Wars the other day, and I'm like, man, this is the best story ever. So I texted Jonathan. I'm like, dude, I'm watching Star Wars right now. Best story ever told. And I'm like halfway through the text message. I'm like, that's not the best story ever told. What was I thinking? Jesus is the best story ever told. Star Wars is fake. Jesus is real. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Star Wars really is fake. Um, It's hard for me to hear, but it's true. 
So what do we do, okay? So what do we do? Let me bring this all full circle. Let's close this out. Watch this. First of all, understand, church, okay? I know this is hard. I know it's hard to have faith. I know it's hard to love the Lord sometimes, especially when life just is horrible. But watch, the first thing we need to understand that God is patient with you. Do you know that? Let me build you up a little bit this morning. Do you know God is patient with you? Man, praise the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord? Man, God is patient. I look at all of my shortcomings, and I look at Jesus, and he goes, Oh, Jordan. You're a funny guy. You're crazy. Just this morning, I'm moving a table, and um, one of the guys in the church, he looks at me, and he says, he says, you need, uh, you need help with that? Because I couldn't get the legs to close right. You know those stupid tables? Like you close one, and then all of a sudden, you close the other one, and it stays open, and so you roll it, and it hits you in the legs. It's a horrible experience. But if you close them right, what happens is you get to roll them the right way. And I said, man, I'm always, I'm always like this. I'm always learning the hard way. And he goes, no way, you? Really? Thanks for the vote of encouragement, but yeah, me. But God's patient with me, okay? And he's patient with you, but understand something. It's only for a little while, okay? Get on board, start loving him in faith, okay? Let me build you up this morning. Second thing, I would say there's an offering of grace. Before welcoming future wrath, get on board with loving the Lord in faith. So important for us today, okay? So important for us today. The third thing that's in your outline, okay, I want you to leave the audience, okay? I'm going to free you this morning to leave the audience, okay? I want you to destroy the audience that you've created in your head. I want you to eliminate it. How do I do that, Jordan? Okay, first thing that you do to eliminate the audience is to focus on who really matters, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, because you matter to him. Okay, how do I live that out? How do I, I mean, I'm going to go walk into Meyer today, Jordan. I'm going to go walk into Meyer today. I'm going to think all these moms are staring at me. What do I do? Have faith and believe that it's really, truly God who is looking at you properly. Now watch this. When this happens, okay, this is crazy when this happens, is you'll start seeing the needy, the tired, the hungry, the hurting, the broken, all those people who need the Lord. I'll never forget this. I walked into Meyer just last week. I walked in the door. And instead of focusing on myself and my own needs and the fact that all these people are staring at me, I looked at this lady who was sitting right, she was standing right over by the grapes. And you could just tell she had a rough day. Walked up to her and I said, hey, you know what? God's in control. He still loves you. Right? That's what God wanted me to tell you. I don't, I don't know. He just told me to tell you that. I mean, she just was, she was floored. She didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. Who knows? Okay, who knows? But you start seeing some of these people, okay? I want you to leave human reasoning. Start focusing on something greater than yourself. And the last thing in your outline, which is not on my slides, <clears throat> is to embrace the ways of Christ. Let's embrace Jesus this week, okay? Let's do it as a church, as a church body. We got this cool Facebook page. It's, it's pretty awesome. Post some stuff on it, Okay? Man, this is how I love the Lord this week. This is how I had faith this week. The audience of one, let me tell you something, it's always watching, and the time is now to implement a new way of thinking what you think is possible, because the impossible with man is definitely possible with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's love the Lord. Let's show it to the world. Let's do it this week, okay? Let's walk in faith. Let's have some attitude and understanding and responsibility this week. Let's embrace this righteous judge, okay, and understand that he loves us and he cares for us. He really does. The audience of one, let me tell you something, he's always watching, and he's watching you way more than the audience that you built in your head. Can I pray for you this morning?